guys, it's Laurie and welcome back to a new season of Woman to Woman. I just wanted to put out a disclaimer before you continue listening to this episode. There was a little issue with the sound on my end, um, but I just decided to still put out the episode because I believe that Aquia has an amazing story to tell. And as long as you can hear her clearly, I'm not important. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I hope you guys like it. Please check out Akria and what she's doing. And I will see you guys in my next episode. Bye. Okay. <laughs> Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Woman to Woman. And today I am joined by the lovely Akria Kezia, who is... Hi. The founder and the CEO of Have Achievement, AK Foundation. You're an author, an advocate, yep. a mentor, a public speaker. My goodness. <laughs> You've got a lot of titles. So how are you? Thank you. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. So thank you. Great. Firstly, thank you for joining me. Um, thank you for having me. So the first question, before we get into who you are, stuff like, the first question that I always ask um, the women that join me on the podcast is... What does womanhood mean to you? What does being a woman mean to you? Ah, okay, womanhood. Um, that, do you know what? That question has so many answers. I feel like as a woman, mm-hmm. sometimes you just, you're pulled from here and there yeah. and everywhere and you just don't even know what your sole purpose yeah. is. Even, even when, you know, you, you have a conversation with a man and he's like, yeah, and you know, women, they do this and they're leaders mm-hmm. and they're mothers and this. As a woman you even feel like, wow, I'm so out of place. Yeah. So I feel like the journey into womanhood is such an extraordinary one because there's so many different paths to take. Yeah. There's so many different angles in which you can define yourself as a woman, mm-hmm. you know. There's motherhood, there's difficulties, there's, you know, there's there's trials and tribulations, there's achievements that only women can, can attain. Yeah. And I think when you get to that stage where you can do these things, you can, you know, you're, you're, you're really in womanhood and you can really, you know, achieve certain things. I think that's where womanhood becomes mm-hmm. a real thing for you. So, you know, me coming, you know, coming out of my teenage stage and I'm now going into, into womanhood. Yeah. I feel like, although, yeah, you know, I've got all these titles and I'm doing all these things. I feel like now the journey is really going to begin because now I can really see where life is going to take me as a woman so I think the importance of it is just it's it's a tricky one because you really don't understand until you're there yeah but you can appreciate it from afar exactly so yeah that's what I think about womanhood and being a woman what does a woman mean to me wow it means everything I I wouldn't trade it for the world even through everything that I've gone through As a woman, I'm so proud of who I am and what I represent and the people around me because I'm surrounded by so many amazing women. Being a black woman myself, Mm -hmm. seeing so much black excellence from women, it makes me smile. Honestly, it makes my day because we've had it rough. (laughs) We've had it rough, you know. So being a black woman, Mm -hmm. excelling and being around so many other black women who are excelling makes me so proud to be a woman. Was there a point in your journey where, you know, you have like a revelation moment where you're like, I, I, I embody womanhood or I am a woman. Was there yeah. ever a point where you, you came to the realisation of, of that? Or was it you always, not always me, because you always know you're a girl, you always know that yeah. you're a lady. But yeah. was there ever a point where, for you, it was like, oh, this is a moment. 
Yeah, um, yeah, actually, I think around maybe 16, 17, I, I really understood, you know, what becoming, kind of becoming a woman was obviously 16, 17, you know, you're, you're still a baby, but, you know, you're, you, you're growing, you're, you know, going through puberty and, you know, without getting too technical, cool, you know, I'm saying like you start to experience certain things monthly and, you know, you go through certain things and you start to think, oh, wow, this is different from, you know, the girl that I used to be, the person that I thought I was. Now, you know, life is really showing me something different. So I think, yeah, when I turned like 17, 18, I started to see the world in a different way because I was growing up and I was kind of transitioning from a girl to a woman. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, around that age, I, I noticed. Perfect. So who are you? What, what's your name? Where you come? What's your story? Tell us about yourself for those that don't know. So, uh, my name is Akuya Kezia. I am 22. I am an author of the book called The Transplant Girl. I'm a peer and youth mentor. I'm a health advocate. I um, am a public speaker. And I'm also an organ donor, donor champion. So, if you don't know what that is, that's basically um, kind of like a superior advocate, if you want to call it that. You know, you do like extra work you do you do a little bit more than an than an advocate and um right now i'm working with the nhs to do um some campaigns for organ donation in the black asian minority ethnic community because right now you know the government and the nhs they pumped a lot of money into that Mm -hmm. um and it's something that of course is very dear to my heart like i said i'm a a health advocate so that falls under that Mm -hmm. and um like I said, I'm an author as well of the book called The Transplant Girl. It's a memoir. It's a true story about myself yeah. and my life. Um, so, you know, being a, a you know youth and peer mentor and a health advocate, it kind of makes sense because my book is a true story and it is labelled The Transplant Girl. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, my journey from 13, 14 years of age to about 21 you know, going through ill health, physical and mental ill health, mm-hmm. um, growing up being a teenager, succumbing to social pressures, um, family, friends, uh, education, just, you know, life as a teenager growing up, but also having to deal with ill health. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> have, you have so many hats. Oh, my gosh, I can't. <laughs> Honestly. Um, so, what is your journey like kind of unpack? So, your book, The Transplant Girl. Yeah. Okay, so the story is of a young girl, myself, yeah. um, getting ill very, very fast. Very, It was very random. It was very sudden. Um, being in hospital for a very long time, having a transplant, mm-hmm. and um, then going back you know, home, going back to school, literally stepping back into the world, you know, and trying to build my life back up again after having a transplant, after being diagnosed with about four or five illnesses and just trying to cope with life at 14 slash 15, you know, um, at that age, it's already quite hard. You know, you're trying to figure out yourself in school and you're trying to figure out your, your life out of school, you know, you're going through puberty, you're going through a lot of changes. And then on top of that, you're also battling major, major illnesses. Um, and then, you know, my mental health started to decline. And um, 
finishing school, going to college, going to uni, you know, getting into relationships, making new friends, you know, dropping out friends, going through things with family. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's literally a very in-depth story of my life yeah. and how I battled, how I coped and how I overcame and achieved um, all these obstacles. So you, so yeah. So you felt ill at 14, 13 or 14? 13, 14, yeah. How, around how, that how age. long was the span? Like, how long, how long did, how long was the journey of you like, getting ill and then becoming better and getting the transplant? So I started noticing myself getting sick in, I'd say maybe. February of 2010 yeah. and um, at that time I was 13 yeah. so um, I started getting sick there you know just like yellow eyes which is jaundice mm-hmm. um, nosebleeds common colds just feeling really unwell yeah. um, got a blood test and it came back inconclusive so my mum said that when she because she's a teacher so when she gets her her um, half term break then we'll go back and book another appointment because she wanted to go with me but unfortunately we didn't get to that stage because in april of 2010 or i think it was may april or may it's been a long time so my timeline is a bit you know jagged but um it was april or may when i fainted on my sister's back and she called the paramedics. They rushed me to hospital. And that's when they found what they found. Um, I don't want to go too much into detail because I want people to buy the book <laughs> if you want to know. But, um... <laughs> so, um, you know, from there, it was literally from that moment when I went to hospital, which was late, either late April, early May to July uh, 21st of 2010, which is finally when I had my transplant. So... And I was discharged from hospital in August, the first week of August. So, you know, you guys do the math and you can tell how long I was in hospital for. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was the time period in which, you know, I got sick, had the transplant, was discharged. And then, you know, the, the getting better stage was a long time. <laughs> it was a long time. I can imagine. So, you know, when you were sick, did you still go to school or was you just in hospital and dealing with, like, the recovery? recouping from the, the illness because being a child at, at such a young age and yeah. like deal with your health and stuff like that how did you how did, did you have to wear a mask around your peers or was it was you open about your illness or so during the time when I was in hospital I couldn't go anywhere because I was literally getting worse yeah. each day um so I was in hospital nonstop for that whole period. Coming out, so I was discharged officially in August mm-hmm. and school start, started in September. So I think I missed like a week of school before going back. So I pretty much went to school, went back to school straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, you know, after having like a month and a bit of recovery at home. Yeah. So I went back to school, um, joined year 10, and I had half days from then onwards until I left school, to be honest. So I would leave um, every day at lunchtime and, um, yeah, literally had to, to pick up from there. But after, you know, being discharged and stuff, I did go straight back to school, yeah. Did anyone ever ask you, like, what happened? How did you... Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I, it was so funny I actually found out apparently a rumour was going around that I got pregnant 
and, <laughs> and I just I remember coming back thinking if you guys actually knew I what knew. I've gone through exactly. honestly these things would not be coming out of your mouth but yeah. now looking back I just think I probably would have said the same thing mm. honestly I would have said the same thing she just upped and left didn't come back to school no one's heard of her you know I would have said oh yeah she she you know she, yeah. she was doing <laughs> she was doing that and she got herself pregnant but um yeah, a lot of people asked, oh, you know what happened? You haven't been here in a long time and this and that. And, you know, having to explain to other 14, 15-year-olds that, you know, you had a big operation and, you know, your organs had failed or your organ had failed and, you know, you had a transplant. It's not easy. They don't understand. Some kids can be really mean. Some kids could just honestly not understand. Some kids can be really empathetic and, and sympathetic. Some are just like, okay, what do we do with you now? You know, because they don't want to tread on, they, they see you as someone that's really vulnerable. Yeah. So they don't want to, you know, do anything to kind of jeopardize. So they kind of distance themselves from you. I went through all of them. All, every single thing that I've just said, I went through all of them with literally every single person in my year group because it was just such a shock. They'd never seen something like that before. They'd never heard of something like that before. Neither had I. So, you know, imagine someone that has gone through it that doesn't understand and then being surrounded by many other kids that also don't understand. It's a, it's a, it's a really serious journey. And I'm just so happy that I, I made it out because, you know, going back to school was such a hard time for me, honestly. How did you, how did you um, create um, a, a support system? Like, where, how do you create friends that got it? Like, I think just... Did they disappear or was, was there like a cohort of people that were like, you know, I, I sympathise with you and I can understand where you've been, what you've been through. And they had to learn with you. Mm-hmm. was it just how was that for you there was a lot of people that disappeared there was a lot of people that came back there were a lot of new people that were like you know we we sympathize with you we know people that you know have struggled with ill health and whatnot and there were some people that just regardless of what I've been through just genuinely loved me mm. and I think the main thing that I took from that is honestly not allowing and it may sound hard for people that are in my position that struggle with ill health, but coming from me, someone who has four, four or five different health illness, like health problems, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's a challenge. It was a challenge in the beginning, but I can honestly say being yourself mm-hmm. and allowing yourself to shine and, and appear through your illness mm-hmm. is the, the best thing you can do for yourself, honestly you know and I'm not saying hide your illness or hide you being sick because when you're when you're sick you're sick you can't really hide it you know but not always letting people know because then sometimes people don't know where to stand with you if you're always saying oh and I'm sick and I'm sick and I'm sick people are going to really feel you know quite intimidated by you or they're going to be quite frightened or they're they're just they're not really going to know how to deal with you so I think being yourself showing your normal personality um I mean if you're dull then come on perk yourself up a bit but you know if you're a really lively person and you're happy and you're this and you're that show that yeah instead of showing the sick side because then people will love you for who you really are not what your health has made you succumb to exactly yeah love that answer thank you Dealing with all of that, I know you said that your mental health took a toll. Yeah. What was the hardest thing about 
you kind of regaining your mental health? What did you have to deal with? Um, and how did you overcome that if you have? Oh, I think the biggest, the biggest challenge was battling with myself. It, it really, going through mental health issues, it's really a battle with yourself. Like, and, and I know people that are listening, if, you, if you've gone through this or you're going through this, you'll really know what I'm talking about. But it's like you're in a war, like an actual battle. You're on the battlefield with yourself and you have to decide who is going to win your right mind or your wrong mind that's honestly how I saw it that is how I was dealing with it and it was so difficult because the only person that can really stop you is you but you don't it's like you don't have the willpower or you don't have that type of knowledge to, to to stop it or to to help it so I think that was my biggest uh, battle going through mental health but then the best thing about it is that I am the person that can solve it so I think it took me being at my lowest point which was my suicidal point where I really realized that this is not where I want to be I, I realized that I actually had a sound mind somewhere in the midst of whatever was going on in my brain telling me that this isn't really what I want and as long as that side is always there, I can pull it out from wherever it is and we can deal with it. Me and that thought can deal with it together. And I think that was how I, I honestly, I had to just be at my lowest of the lows. I was on the phone to 111 and I was like, I, I, I don't know what is going on right now, but I know I just don't want to be in this state. And I think that's the best thing that you can do. You honestly knowing that you need the help. Because when people push to you that you need help, you need help, you need help, sometimes you can be in denial and you can feel like they're seeing something that you're not seeing and, and you're not that bad. But when you hit rock bottom, especially with mental health, trust me, it will be you that will notice it. It will be you that will have to dig yourself out of that hole because only you would know the extent of what you can do to yourself and to people around you. No one else can possibly know that. I, can't, I don't know what you're thinking right now. So I can't tell you that you're going to do this and you're going to do that. Only you know that. So it's only you that can pull yourself out of that situation and find a better situation. So when you hit that stage, you will know that you can pull yourself out. And that's when I accepted the help um, from my local mental health uh, facility. I accepted the help and I'd, it just, it really changed my life I can't lie it really did going through the therapy sessions going through the counseling it really helped so you said that in your moments of getting help so you speak you called one one and you was just like look yeah the help was it easier for you to seek outside help rather than go to your friends or your family because a lot of the time when people do suffer with ill health mental health a lot of people say go and seek help from your friends talk to your friends talk to your family yeah. For you, was it easier for you to go outside of that comfort zone? Or... Yeah, it was much easier for okay. me to, to do that. Why is that? It was, um, I feel like, and it's not because of, you know, the characteristics of or the, the, the behavioural traits of my family. Yeah. It was just me personally. I just felt like going to my family is just not going to help. Mm at all you know I was scared I was nervous yeah. and you know they were there throughout 
the whole journey of me, you know, being in and out of hospital mm. and then now coming to bring another burden, I just felt like, no, I can't, I can't do this to them. Yeah. They're not going to understand. It's not going to be easy for them. It's not going to be easy for me because it's like we were bumping heads as well because of my mental health. Yeah. And then to now come and spring this on them, it was just, it was just too much. Mm. So I just felt like I need to seek professional help mm-hmm. if I really want to get this mm-hmm. solved because talking to your friends and family you know it's lovely yeah as and as lovely as it is it doesn't solve anything yeah you know it may just give you a sound mind for a bit because you feel like oh a big weight has been lifted off my shoulders but you haven't actually gotten any help so for me definitely going to get professional help Mm -hmm. was the best thing Mm -hmm. because I basically I I have a friend and I've been telling her go and like obviously she's going through things and I've said to her go seek help and stuff like that and one of her reasons is that she doesn't feel like the people that do help, they can relate to her. Okay. So for you, was was that a thing for you? Or did you just connect with the people that were reaching out their hands to help you? And what would you say to someone that has those thoughts in their head um, and that, that do need the help, though? I think that was also one of my worries and fears as well. Are they going to understand me? Do, yeah. do they even know what I'm going through? And for me... It wasn't just, you know, the mental health. It was the physical health. So my mental health issues stemmed from my physical health. So my one was just a completely different ballgame that they had to deal with. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like, I don't know why I'm here. These people are not going to understand. It's not just my mental health. It's my physical health as well that they have to be wary of. But honestly, when you accept the help, they will find every possible way to cater the help that they're going to give to you yeah. to you yeah it's going to be catered and and it's going to be according yeah. to you so it's normal to have those kind of you know doubts those and worries like you know are they going to understand oh i'm i maybe mm. i come from this country or i'm african or i'm black or i'm a girl or I'm this and that but honestly when you really sit down and you just say things Mm -hmm. and you go through things they're able to paint a picture so they can actually give you the right help and it may not be them they can refer you to other places I was referred it wasn't just you know you you go into the the mental health community center or whatever it is or you go to your local mental health uh, facility or hospital and you say oh you know I'm depressed I need help it's not that do you know what I mean and then they say okay well all the depressed people go here it's not like that do you get what I mean like you know they're gonna sit you down they're gonna talk to you they're gonna find out information about you and if it's something that they feel like you need specialist help they're gonna Mm. refer you to here they're gonna refer you to there you know so I think the main thing is to give these people a chance because you may not know what they can offer you until you honestly try and if it's not for you then at least you know okay I've gone in I've asked for the help they've offered me help it's not for me Mm. so now I have to find something else but I think just going in Mm -hmm. and talking you yourself you will realize okay this was probably a good thing it really was so you just have to try a chance and not run away from the idea before you've even tried it definitely were you scared when all of this was going on like were you scared were you hopeful what was your emotions throughout all of all of this honestly I don't I don't even have like one one or two words because I feel like every new week was a new Mm. emotion for me um and being there for being in hospital for so many months 
you really get used to yeah certain things so I feel like there was like a time period where I was just like okay <laughs> okay <laughs> do you know what I mean like okay yeah cool. what's next <laughs> you know because it was literally like a second home I didn't, I think there was even one time where I was able to go home for the weekend and I felt so out of place going home. It was my first time in two and a half, nearly three months going home. And, you know, being in hospital, Mm. it takes a toll on you. You go through a range of emotions. You go through happiness, you go through sadness, you go through sorrow, worry, doubt, fear. You go through absolutely every emotion. And I think when it got to like the end stages where I was just really getting sick and I was like literally on Mm. my deathbed I think after that getting the news of having a transplant to many people when I speak to so many people like all the every single time when I speak to someone and I tell them my story the the response that I always get is oh wow oh my gosh you are just an amazing Mm. young lady I can't oh my god wow oh wow (laughs) it's like honestly that is the only thing I get and Mm. I can't blame them I can't because hearing such a young person have a a transplant have an operation going through that it's so wild but at that moment I was so happy like nothing could have taken my happiness away at that moment when I found out that they've got the they've got the liver for me and you know in the morning we're going to go down for surgery because I think I got the I got my liver in two days I was on the top of the organ donor list and people are waiting on this list for months for years they're dying do you know what I mean so for me I can't be scared I can't be worried I can only be grateful for this miracle that was handed to me like at that moment it was no longer you know me being a sick girl it was it was really a blessing honestly it was a blessing so from then onwards yeah the the journey to recovery the road to recovery was hell but the 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 chance that I was given Mm. was a miracle so I was happy I'm gonna wow man (laughs) (laughs) I know you hear it so much because I don't know how I would have done it. What was your what was your yeah. anchor in in those moments where you were like, "Am I gonna get it? Like, what is gonna happen? What was your anchor? What was keeping you go? Like, what was your foundation? Would you say? Oh, I th- I think it was a mixture of four mm-hmm. things actually. So one being yeah. my mum because my mum stayed there with me mm-hmm. every day um, from when I was admitted to when I was discharged. She never left my side except for when she'd go to work. Bear in mind, yeah. we live in North London. The hospital that we were in was King's South College London. Hospital, which is in South London. So she had to wake up every morning at about 4 or 5 a.m., go all the way back to North London, go to work, go home, cook and clean and, you know, get her stuff, come back to the hospital and do the same thing every day, five days a week. So... Having someone like that, you can, mm. I mean, you can't not lean on them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So her, yeah, God, definitely, of course. Um, my excitement yeah. to get better. And the lovely support that I had from all the yeah. nurses and doctors. When I tell you that nurses are some of the most amazing people, mm-hmm. what they go through on a daily basis is very, very mad. And people yeah, don't so give them enough okay. credit. And especially in mm-hmm. the pediatric ward, obviously, you know, when you get to the adult yeah. ward, they just treat you anyhow, <laughs> unfortunately. But in the pediatric ward, they treat you like yeah. you are their own and they make sure that 
although you're in a hospital, they want you to have a really pleasant time. And like I said, I was there for months. I was there for nearly four months. So seeing these nurses and doctors day in and day out, not just on the Mm -hmm. weekdays, on the weekends as well, these four factors really made life worth it being in hospital, honestly. Perfect. And also, I want to touch on you saying um, your excitement to getting better, which is very interesting because a lot of people are in a situation where they dwell on their situation and it's very hard for them to yeah. look outside of it or look to to the brighter side of things and just think this is mm-hmm. the, this is I'm literally living in the present. So yeah, that's amazing for me. Like because not a lot of people can do that. Thank you. So my hats mm-hmm. off to you. What has Thank been you. the biggest lesson that you've learned about yourself during your journey of like healing? Oh, the biggest lesson. I am the only person that can control mm. my destiny. I'm the only person that has full control mm. of myself. Um, and I think it, even someone that isn't in my condition or doesn't have yeah. what I have or yeah. doesn't go through what I go through, you yeah. would know that anyway. It takes you a certain, it takes, you have to get to a certain point in life where you actually sit down and realise that that you are yeah. actually in control of your own life. As much as there may be so many rules and regulations and policies and laws and your mother and yeah. your father and your this and your that, you are actually the only person that mm-hmm. can really make that decision to change your life. And from a young age, I've obviously had to mature yeah. in certain ways, yeah. like health-wise. And doing that has made me grow yeah. up a little bit faster so I learned that at a, a much younger age, but it really took a while for me to embed that mm-hmm. within my life because after coming out of hospital, I rebelled. Oh, wow. Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, you know, after that I yeah. learned a lesson and I was an angel and I looked up, you know, because that's not the case. I was, yeah. I was 14. I was, 15, I was 14 when I came out of hospital. I'm just yeah. becoming a teenager. And all of the people around me that were going out, they were mm-hmm. smoking, they were drinking, they were doing this and they were partying. And yeah. that's what I wanted to do, of course. Do you know what I mean? If my friends are doing yeah. that, of course yeah. I want to do that. That's what I want to do. I want to go out and I want to have fun and I want to get attention from guys and I want to, you know, have my first experience with this. And mm-hmm. I want to do all of that. And I did that for, for, mm-hmm. for a little while. And like I said to you before, you know, my excitement to get better yeah. was in hospital. But when I left and I wanted to do all these things and I realized that they all had yeah. major consequences to my health, that's when the, the mental health kicked in. That's when I realized wow, this is Mm. a never-ending cycle for me. This is actually Mm. going to be my life. It doesn't matter what age I am. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what I want to do. It doesn't matter where I am. Unfortunately, this is going to be my life. Oh, time. (laughs) Time. Time Time is the ultimate healer. Honestly, with any situation, it can only take time for you to understand yourself. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it's only you that yeah. can control your destiny. It's only you that can tell yourself, I'm going to go from A to B. Yeah. And only you can do it. So knowing that and giving yourself mm-hmm. time to do these things will make you such a great person, honestly. Come on. It really will. Come on, man. You're speaking real facts. <laughs> You're speaking Amen. real facts. And it's so crazy that you've had to learn at such a young age. So, so crazy. Yeah. Um, do you think that there were any challenges that 
you had to overcome like of, of course like getting better but mentally like what was one of the things that you had to overcome and how did you overcome it like if you could give like one practical thing that you did for you that helped you what was it um I think for me when it's really yeah. stopping myself and I know that may sound like, okay, cool, stopping yourself, like, would you okay? But honestly, in in a mental health mm-hmm. um, point of view, stopping yourself is mm-hmm. the hardest thing in the world. It is the, the most challenging thing you mm-hmm. can possibly ever face. So when you actually have your your yeah. reality, like when when that real side steps in, because when you're struggling with mental health, you feel like yeah. you're in a whole new world. So when, if you have a period where you actually come out of that world and yeah. step back into reality, grab it, grab it and use that mm. to stop yourself. That is the only chance you will ever get mm. when struggling with mental health to help yourself without any background help mm-hmm. to help yourself. That's the one thing that I learned when I was, when yeah. I was going through counselling is to find the right ways and steps to challenge and, and to kind of probe myself to stop, yeah. to find coping techniques to stop myself. And I did that through taking time mm-hmm. out, for example. When we're going through mental health issues, we like to feel like we, we either do two things. You shut yourself completely from the world or yeah. you busy yourself with everything in the world. And yeah. neither of them are good. But if you can find a balance... If, you know, you having to distract yourself to get to a better stage is what you need to do, then do that. But don't overdo it. If you feel like you need to take time out, then do it, but don't overdo it. So it's finding that real balance when reality kicks in. That's when you should grab Mm. that that voice in your head and go along with that. So I think that's what I would say. And if someone that's going through what you're going through now, based on like your past, what would you tell them? Yeah. What would be like one thing that you would actually tell them? Your health doesn't define you. That's the one thing I live by. Your health mm. does not define you. It's your purpose. It's your passion. It's your success. Those things mm-hmm. is what defines mm-hmm. you as a person, as someone that is that mm-hmm. exudes excellence. It, it, it's not. It's not your health. Don't allow something that that you can yeah. easily gun down to gun you down. Don't do yeah. it. Do you get what I mean? Just don't yeah. do it. Your health doesn't define you. That's what I would say. Perfect. Now let's get on to this book. Why did you, what, when did you think, I'm going to write a book? <laughs> never. <laughs> Honestly, never. Like when I started writing, I was at my lowest point. Yeah. I had just left uni. Okay. So I dropped out of uni. I um that's when my mental health was really kicking in my depression was really kicking in Uh, my anxiety was really kicking in my suicidal thoughts were kind Mm -hmm. of creeping back in um I wasn't working I couldn't work because part of why I had to leave uni was because of my health so I couldn't work um I didn't have any contact with my friends and it was just a really rough time and I think just, I don't even know what, like, I still actually don't know. And I tell this to everyone. And I say, if yeah. I don't know, God knows. So it's only God yeah. that made me do this. And that's the only thing I can say. But I just suddenly started writing, just started typing mm-hmm. small things here and there. And it became really therapeutic. And it was like letting go of yeah. all the anger, all the hurt, all the worry, all the depression, yeah. everything, just letting it go into words. 
And then I got up to like to a certain point in the book mm-hmm. or when I was writing, I should say. And I had, it's like I had an epiphany. I don't even know what it was, but it's like I, I realized that this book is yeah. way more than me. This this is no yeah. longer a book for me. This is no longer going to be a, thera- a yeah. therapeutical thing for me. This is going to heal mm. a nation. So in order to do that, I have to make sure that what God is telling me to do right yeah. now is what I do. And then that's when I realized, okay, I need to publish yeah. this as a book. I just started typing, 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 typing. And then lo and behold, 2018, 21st of July, is when I finally published my book. Did you ever have a writer's block moment? like, Or was the book, did it flow? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah. I think everyone, it doesn't even matter what type of book you're publishing. You will always have writer's block. And it will be because of anything. It can be because, you know, you don't remember certain things or you're feeling like you mm. don't know if you should continue writing this because, you know, you're not too sure if, you know, it should be out. It could be personal things, yeah. you know, mental health, uh, what you're going, you may have a child and, you know, you're too busy, maybe in education, you may be working. You just may not have the the motivation, mm-hmm. the vim. Do you know what I mean? You There's so many things that yeah. can cause writer's block. I think I had it like twice whilst writing. Um, and that one was because I went back to uni and it was really, really yeah. taking a toll on me. And two, I think I my mental health. I was just feeling like yeah. I don't want to publish this book anymore. I don't want to do it. Um, but yeah, writer's block is real, guys. Writer's how block is real how and it's you, annoying. How did you bounce back from it? <sighs> Realizing yeah. that the book is not about me. Yeah. So I can't be selfish. Um, and that this this is a, a challenge, not a challenge, but this is a mission that God. Mm. Gave, yeah has given to me and I have mm. to honour that as a child of God myself yeah. I have to honour that so, yeah. um, so what was the publishing process like was it hard for you to find a publisher or was it kind of easy did you know who you wanted to publish with did you publish by yourself so okay. I self-published in the end um, I was always going mm-hmm. for the self-publishing route I did have a um, a bit of contact with okay. a few publishing yeah. um, agencies and stuff. And yeah, I did get offered a few deals and stuff. But I think with me personally, I'm a DIY person. Yeah. I love DIY. I love doing things myself. I love finding uh, mm-hmm. new ways, creative ways to do things myself. So, and I'm so happy that I didn't take any of the deals because I've learned yeah. so much whilst yeah. writing and publishing my book. Like things that, Mm-hmm. money really can't buy honestly things that I've I've been so fortunate now to yeah. teach other people like people have come to me older people have come to little me asking me to, pop- to help mm. them to give them to, to to write a book asking me to do workshop um things with them to do you know mm. powerpoint presentations with them like people are really coming to me so the, the information that I've mm. learned is priceless but it's made me so grateful that things like self-publishing yeah. is even available because there's so many people like me that want to self-publish and they yeah. they just don't know how they can go about it. But honestly, like researching is going to be your best yeah. friend if you're trying to self-publish because you there's so many loopholes and there's so many things that you need to find mm-hmm. out before publishing. I think that's why it took me an extra year to publish my book because I thought I was ready. 
um, a year before publishing my book. And I realized that I really wasn't ready because there was just so many steps that you need to take to effectively Mm -hmm. publish a book, you know, anyone can publish a book. But if you want to publish a proper book, like a, like a real established book, you need to do your research. You need to. So yeah. Yeah. And I do think we're at age where you can learn how to do anything on the internet. You can learn how to do anything. So it's literally yeah. just going on on the net and researching. That's it. Yeah, literally, literally. Like I said, I didn't even want to write, but that yeah. wasn't even my aim. It's not like I came out of uni and said I'm going to be an author. Like that wasn't my thought. So doing from not having that thought to then publish mm-hmm. self publishing successfully, it can show you that exactly. you can learn anything. All you need to do is research. Exactly. That's it. Um, was it? So you know your like your distribution and stuff. How how is it working? How, where can people get the book? Um, oh gosh, the book is literally on so many streams that I sometimes forget. I'm like, oh yeah, my book's here. But um, yeah. my book's on Amazon. It's on eBay. It's on Waterstones. Wow. Thank God. It's on um, Foils. It's on Google Books. Um, mm-hmm. Apple Books. Um, it's on gosh Barnes and Noble. On. It's on it's on Come so on. many streams. Twenty four symbols, all of these kind of things. If you're someone that gets like um, does like a monthly book subscribing thing, all of those platforms, twenty four symbols, and all of those things, it's there for you. Um, but literally, all you need to do is just type in the Transplant Girl book on Google, and you will see it on some sort of website. But yeah, the hot place obviously is Amazon because yeah, everyone uses Amazon. So yeah. <laughs> what was um, one thing that you learned about yourself while writing the book? Did you have any lessons, or was it anything that you wrote, you wrote something and you were like, "Oh my gosh, how many of this happened to me?" Had did you not ever had that moment where you were like, "Oh my gosh, wait, hold on, this book is actually what?" <laughs> yeah, honestly, do you know what? I think I had that so many times I'm so surprised that I actually didn't shed a single mm. tear whilst writing the book because uh, throughout all the moments in that book I've cried yeah. a thousand times a thousand times so that's how I know that the book yeah. was really therapeutic for me to write but I think when I finally published the book and I ordered my author's copy and it came through the post and I read it I think that's when I really realized like wow Mm. you've had a tough life (laughs) like you have really had it rough and you're here today reading your own story like that I think that took me about a week to digest because I I, I read the book in about two days and it it after the week it really hit me like if this wasn't me I would Mm. have cried for this girl like I would have said oh my gosh I really pity Mm. you young girl I really do like it's it's that emotional but I think just reading it and just knowing yeah. that I've gone through all of that and I'm here and I'm doing all these good things and yeah. I'm helping so many people it, it just makes it worthwhile it really does honestly uh, it just does girl I'm so in awe of your strength thank um, you I have one more question for you I wish I'd asked that when you mentioned it but this is probably me just finding out but you said it in the middle that you know your faith kept you and um, you're a child of God and stuff yeah. like that. Um, how yeah. was it in the darkest moment of your of that period of your life? How did you keep onto your faith? Because it's so easy to say, you know, 
I believe in God and I believe in God and I, I yes. and God is this and God is amazing and God is yep. faithful and just and but in the moments mm-hmm. where the world can turn around and look at you and say, Where is your God now? How did you kind yeah. of stay grounded in your faith? Goodness. Um that is something that is yeah. really hard because I was never before um going to hospital I was never really strong in Christ it was literally one of those ones where you know your mum just dragged you to church every Sunday and I'm like I'm a Christian because of that but I think I think it was about 14 or 30 I think it was about 13 I remember I was having this talk in school and I was like I don't like I think one of my friends asked me why I was a Christian and I said honestly I don't even know like I, I honestly don't know, but when I was in hospital and I was getting sick, I questioned God yeah. one too many times, one too many times, because it was literally a thing where, if this is the God that I'm praying mm-hmm. to and that I believe mm-hmm. in, like where are you? Where mm-hmm. are you in this time? And that is where I think I asked God the most questions yeah. that I've ever asked Him in my whole entire life because mm-hmm. I was so confused, but. I think once the liver came through, because the the, the mm-hmm. actual tea behind that story was that after they told me that night, so it was a Sunday night that they told me that you know I'm gonna gonna need to go on the top of the yeah. the list, otherwise yeah. you know I won't make it next week and stuff. A liver came the next day. A liver because they put me on the top of the list. Wow. A liver came the next day, and they said that this is like they don't want this liver they want to wait for a better liver so that liver came the next day which was a tuesday night and then i had the transplant wednesday morning so just hearing stuff like that like they're waiting for something that Mm. is tailored to you like god has actually given these people the knowledge to say yeah this isn't for her something better is coming along just wait just hearing that it made the day that I that they told me we've got the liver for you. You're going down in the morning. The first thing I did was kneel down. Yeah. I did not even hug my mum. The first thing I did was kneel down. That's when I mm. knew that you know what, there's a God. There's a God, and I've always known this. And now I need to yeah. strengthen that relationship. And after that, of course, I went through so many things. Like you know, like yeah. I said, I rebelled and all of this kind of stuff. So yeah, my faith mm-hmm. wasn't as strong. But I think in the last three years my faith has gotten so much stronger. I'm not where I want to be with Christ yet. Mm -hmm. I have to be honest. But I think in your darkest Mm -hmm. hours, although it may be so hard and it may be a long shot, remember your Mm -hmm. brightest days, not your brightest hours, Mm -hmm. not your brightest minutes, your brightest days. And it will show you that your darkest hours or mm-hmm. your darkest moments or your darkest minutes yeah. mean nothing in comparison to the better days that you've had that you will have and that are yet to come honestly i think that is the one thing that i can Girl, say about that you just took me to church man wow um what's next for you what what are you looking forward to? Like, what's next for you? You've had such a journey already. What's yeah. next? So, I think it's more yeah. mentoring, 
more uh, public speaking at events, um, definitely um, expanding House of Achievements and AK Foundation. I really want to, now that, you know, I'm trying to build my platform a bit more. um, So obviously being an author, it's opened so many opportunities since publishing the book for me, but I I really want to fulfill my purpose of the book to help a nation. Hence why, you know, I, I founded House of Achievements, hence why I founded AK Foundation, because I, I need to help people yeah. in my situation health-wise and I need to help people that are in my situation yeah. uh, life-wise, <laughs> you know, going through a stage where they don't know what they want to do. They don't know if they want to go to uni. They can't go to uni. Yeah. They want to fulfill educational aspirations. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to. If I feel like I can provide a platform or a pathway to help these people get there, I'm going to do it. If I feel like I can help people that are struggling with ill health, whether that's through public speaking, mm-hmm. whether that's through events, whether that's through my own foundations, organizations, these or my book, yeah. this is what I need to do. So working with the NHS, working with, you know, all these um social media networking all of these kind of things if this is what it's going to take to help a nation this is what I'm going to be doing from here on talk to me a bit about what House of Achievements is and what AK Foundation is as well okay so House of Achievements is an organization so what what I'm trying to do is the aim is to um, Mm -hmm. get young people especially out of any type of negative experience Mm -hmm. or stereotype and put them in the house of achievements, put them in the pool of young success. And the way that I want to help young people do this is by doing three simple things, by aspiring, inspiring and achieving. So literally everyone has an aspiration. We all aspire to do something and we all were all inspired by someone. So you want to be a singer. Mm -hmm. That's your aspiration. Your inspiration is Beyonce. Then you go out and achieve that. So it's literally a cycle. It's not just, you know, something that I'm saying, oh, you know, inspire, inspire, achieve. It's a way of life. It's what we do in life. And I want to enhance that. I want people to understand that this is what they can do. So I want to do that through mentoring. I want to do that through advocating. I want to do that through events where we're not only networking and hearing from a panel where they're sharing their success stories to inspire and motivate people, but I actively want to have educational prospects, job prospects, for yeah. people, sponsorships. So you're not just going there to network and find a, you know, a black owned business or a, mm. a, a business or something like that and say, yeah, I want to work with you. I want to partner with you. No, there's actually yeah. a job here waiting for you for, by a, a company that wants to take you on. There's actually um, an organization or an educational um, prospect that you can have here. If you want to take a new course, they're going to sponsor that or they've got the, the mm-hmm. tools to enroll you into that. Or if you want to gain some sort of experience, there's a sponsorship here that's willing to take you on as an intern or as a this yeah. or that. Do you know what I mean? This is what I actually want to do, not just networking. Networking is great, but yeah. it can only take you so far. I want people to leave the event yeah. knowing that they've got a job, knowing that they've got experience, knowing that they've got, you know, um, uh, some yeah. sort of educational facility to attend Monday morning. That's yeah. the, what I want to impact. That's how I want to impact people mm-hmm. with House of Achievements. And AK Foundation is a organization um, in my name. Yes. So it's the Queer Kezia Foundation. And it's to help um, young people and ad- um, children and adolescents um, achieve any educational aspirations through donations um, mm-hmm. throughout the UK and mainly targeting yeah. children in hospitals because. 
I myself, like I said, these are things that I've experienced, hence why yeah. I'm doing these organisations and things mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So when I was in hospital, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go to school. I couldn't learn this. I couldn't learn that. So I want to give the opportunity to children and adolescents that are in hospital that want mm-hmm. to attain educational aspirations to be able to do so through donations. So if someone yeah. wants to learn a new language uh, through donations, I can provide that course um, and a computer or, or a laptop and give them yeah. that opportunity. If a young child wants to you know, study science, I'm going to be able to provide all of the facilities, all of the things yeah. needed for that child to be able to learn. Um, and I think that's what's important. You know, you can have a, you know, you can have your dreams and stuff. You want to be on a, yeah. you want to ride a pony. That's great. But how, where is it really going to land you in life? Because you're not going to be in hospital forever. I wasn't. So when you come out, you want to have something yeah. educational to fall on. And I just want to provide that for them. Wow. So I'm, I keep saying, wow, it's getting redundant now. <laughs> wow. No, that's so sick. That's Thank so you. Sick. So um, Thank you. plug yourself. Where can people find you? Where can people find these? things and what is next what are you doing next okay so you can find me on twitter um aquia kezia mm-hmm. underscore instagram aquia kezia that's a-k-u-a-k-e-z-i-a facebook aquia kezia as well and linkedin aquia kezia. <laughs> um and if you want to email me it's ask.aquiakezia mm-hmm. at gmail.com and yeah you said what's next for me What's next for me is I'm currently working with NHS um, Blood and Transplant to do uh, an awareness campaign for organ donation. And I'm just literally going to continue doing this, continue advocating and continuing to grow my businesses and me as a brand and my book. And I know you're speaking at an event on the 18th of May. Yes. May, yes. All the details, I'll probably put it in the description somewhere. Um, to, uh, so that you. people can come um, you have literally you. been an inspiration to listen to I cannot wait to read thank the book you so thank you so much, much for sitting down and speaking with me thank you for having um, me I wish you all the best and I'll probably see you at the event because I'm coming I'm actually coming thank you <laughs> oh thank you so much but thank you so much so, but yeah I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode make sure to comment and like it and share it and we'll see you guys in the next episode bye